0: Hello, everyone. Once again, this is Dr. Joe Bowles, CBP Fellow's President of Prairieville, Louisiana, uh, bringing you another CBP uh, Fellows podcast. And uh, as usual, our topic uh, you know relates to the business of chiropractic and the mentality of the chiropractic business person. Uh, we have a very special guest today, Dr. Scott Hewn of Hillsboro, Wisconsin, and we're going to be speaking about a variety of different topics uh, in chiropractic. And uh, uh, as many of you know, Doctor uh, Scott is a uh, uh, management consultant currently, and has been uh, counseling with a variety of different uh, people across the United States in uh, uh, different aspects of the practice.
1: This podcast is brought to you by PostraCo developers of the Posture Screen and Posture a software suites. For more information, browse to www.postacode.com.
0: Good day. How are you today, sir?
2: I'm great, uh, Doctor Bowles. Great to great to be here. I'm real excited about uh, about sharing some thoughts and having a kind of a. Interesting and informative dialogue with you. Uh, you know, we go back a little ways at least, and I think we've always been able to bring out some interesting information from our time together in chiropractic. So, hopefully, that's uh, that's what we'll create here today.
0: I I believe so. You know, because uh, you know, even though we've only known each other a few years, I feel that we are chiropractic kindred spirits. I couldn't agree more. All right. Well, I tell you, the the one of the first things that I do want to ask you, uh, uh, Doc, is what do you see? You know, as a consultant dealing with uh, you know doctors of all different varieties. You know, the new practitioners, students, uh, people, middle range uh, doctors that have maybe been in practice a good uh, fifteen years or longer. What do you see as the current state of affairs vis-a-vis the healthcare marketplace and chiropractics fit in that niche? And and you know, uh, you know, since the CBP practitioner. You know, is our primary listener on the podcast, even though all are welcome. You know, what do you feel, uh, you know, or how do you feel that CBP and structurally based chiropractors, you know, fit into really what's going on in healthcare today? Uh, well, you know, I'm very optimistic uh, about chiropractic's
2: future, though I, I, of course, have some reservations. Um, you know, the public will always pay for a service that they want, and in some cases, they'll actually pay for what they need. All right? I think that CBP in particular has an exclusive niche that needs to be developed and, and, and furthered, of course, um, you know, and has the best opportunity to congeal those elements in, in chiropractic that we bring to the healthcare marketplace. Um, you know, than any other approach that that we're aware of. And the reason I say so is that, you know, we don't exclude the doctor that wants to offer a a defendable approach to pain relief. But we not only offer the patient the opportunity to feel better and to perhaps function a bit better, but in addition to that, we can bring a legitimate, defendable, scientifically, clinically, Verifiable approach to taking that a step further, taking pain relief a step further, and actually attempting to rebuild and rehabilitate, if you will, though I'm not nuts about that word, um, rebuild the spine to a stronger, more stable, and healthier position. And, and I think <clears throat> we bring the best of both worlds to uh, to the to the patient public, and so that's what I see our exclusive niche is, and is literally defendable, clinically evidenced, uh, evidence-based approach to care that can provide the public with choices that are legitimate.
1: Look for your issue of the American Journal of Clinical Chiropractic, now printed in full color, coming to your mailbox very soon.
0: I personally feel that too many CBP chiropractors feel that, or or let's say have shown me that, you know, they feel that because they are structurally based, they have the better mousetrap, so to speak. But even though we have the better mousetrap, these doctors are struggling. Financially in practice. So, what traits do you see are necessary for doctors to succeed? You know, in creating their own practice and succeeding in business. Even though we have this fantastic technique, you know, I, I do see many, many CBP doctors struggling. Yeah, I do
3: too. Unfortunately, I, I think <clears throat> one of the, there are a couple of. You know, it's a very complex question,
2: of course, and I think many, many different variables come to play and if i could summate those I'll, I'll do my best here i think that if we go back in history and we look at chiropractic uh, practitioners and we look at the motivation that they've had to get into practice long ago you had the uh, the guys coming out of the gi bill and going to chiropractic school and often because they had a, a real significant personal experience with chiropractic that, that instilled in them some sort of a passion or, or awakened a passion for them
3: to then go to school to do what, for other people, what they would experienced. As chiropractic has become, quote-unquote, more mainstream, certainly at least in the
2: educational environment, and student loans became available and so forth, we started to have people that would literally go and test or see a guidance counselor, that sort of thing, and and be directed to the chiropractic uh, profession as a career without necessarily having some of that passion. Um, not that it can't be developed or, or, or learned as time goes on, but it, it's a different set of, uh, uh, of motivations. Okay? Um, I, so what I see is one of the big challenges in chiropractic today, especially for those that are either starting a second career or those that have literally gone through the educational um, system, and into chiropractic education and then graduated is that they're not aware that it's gonna be so doggone hard to get out and practice. They they never they're, they're sort of caught unawares that, wow, this is this is a mainstream sort of, but I still am not gonna I'm gonna have to get down and be entrepreneurial and dig in and really work at this in order to succeed. Um and and so I, I see that the traits that that seem to be Um, And for those listening, you know, get a checklist going, you know, do I have any of these things? Uh, The the traits that seem to be um, most evident in those people succeeding in practice are tenacity, (laughs) um, perhaps born from playing athletics, and maybe even not being the star, but rather the one that uh, really worked hard to get off the bench and actually play a little bit, you know. Uh, the, the 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 doctor who worked as a young person growing up, maybe even a paper route, worked for, in a family business. Understands the work ethic and also is willing to learn and be taught, and for that matter, even be coached or mentored by others that have been ahead, ahead of them. Those are those are qualities that I see uh, as being of, of tantamount importance to success in in, in the profession today. Um, and I think finally. I started in answering this question, the passion, you know, whether it comes from a personal experience or whether it's born out of the intellectual tradition of studying the current literature and realizing that the gift that we bring to the public is huge and there is nothing like it, um, whether it comes from either those sources or both or some combination of those two, you've got to have a passion for something bigger than yourself and to be able to put that forth and offer that to the public in a way that is is ethical is based in, in integrity and is based in a clinically scientific defendable package
1: This segment is brought to you by Postrico, developers of the new X-ray digitizing software known as Posture Ray. For more information on Posture Ray, please browse to www.postrico.com.
0: When, when you were speaking there, uh, you know about the traits necessary to succeed. You mentioned whether you know is a very, very common what I call buzzword these days. That I think a lot of people don't understand, and that is mentoring. Scott, why don't you, you know, tell our listeners about, you know, tell us about what you feel mentoring and chiropractic really means. I mean, you know, in the past, you know, chiropractic was really very, very focused on results. You know, people came to chiropractors as a last resort, really not a first option. And you know many of our great mentors in the past were clinicians. You know your Clarence Gonsteads, you know your Vinton Logans, your CS Cleveland Senior, CS Cleveland Junior, et cetera. Uh, you know, tell us what you feel mentoring is, and and you know because our healthcare marketplace you know has become so much more financially competitive than it was in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s you know tell us how to maintain that balance and and you know what someone should look for in a a mentor
2: Uh, i i couldn't agree more with your assertion you know about you know the history of mentoring in chiropractic you know i i'm a palmer graduate and a second generation palmer grad at that won't hold that against you i'm sure you won't and (laughs) i know you came from a from an, a different school and there are many listening that came from different schools but in the 50s 60s and 70s even and certainly into the 80s most of the schools had programs going where the practitioners that were alumni of those institutions were intimately involved in recruiting and uh, i'm certain palmer i know palmer's still doing some of that and i'm certain some of the other schools still are but you know it took on a different uh, it's taken on a different um attack from where it once was you know the the
3: the person coming in as a patient
2: perhaps a young woman or young man who really has a phenomenal um, response to chiropractic care and then the doctor the treating doctor recognizing something in that individual uh, that's exemplary or exceptional even just just the this their their being and knowing that they're a pillar in the community and saying you know I'd be proud to call you one of my colleagues. Would you consider chiropractic as a career? And could I mentor, you, could I help you in your in your quest to, to to find out what it is that you'd like to do? You know, I saw my father do that with a good many people, and uh, uh, you know it, it, it's a it's a wonderful thing. Um, I can count there are countless times when we would have dinner at home and suddenly it'd be some young person from western states from pacific states at that time which is now known as life west um, palmer west which was northern california college of chiropractic um, and many others people came from other parts of the country because of his proficiency with the gonstead technique to just to get to know him follow him around see what was going on you know that in my view was mentoring and it came from a place of experience It came from a place of genuine willingness
3: and desire to help and to bring forth and share the gift of chiropractic
2: with others. Um, You know, and, of course, a logical question is, well, okay, so you're a professional mentor. Why is it you're charging for that these days? (laughs) Well, I think in in, in that era, it was very common for doctors to take people, quote, unquote, under their wing, sometimes house them, Not pay them a whole heck of a lot, but really, truly pass on knowledge about practice, about people, about how to communicate, and so forth. Um, You know, as time has gone on, the business of chiropractic became more complex. The machine, the chiropractic machine, so to speak, that kind of caught on in the 80s, and the insurance industry influencing the profession, changed that relationship so that The economics in chiropractic are ever, as you mentioned, are are, are more significant now, much more challenging. And so for a young doctor with huge student loan debt to then step into a mentoring relationship for room and board isn't realistic. Now, on the other side of the coin, how do you get experience? Well, you have to have, at this stage of the game, in my view, you've got to have a clinician, an experienced clinician at that, to help guide you through what's the critical element of practice and that is developing these doctor-patient relationships. So I see mentoring as a critical element in advancing our profession and in particular in CBP, taking these individuals and helping them to learn what it is to be a doctor at, who happens to utilize the latest state-of-the-art CBP work to, uh, as their vehicle to help the public. Uh, requires that blend of art, if you will, and science that chiropractic uh, provides.
1: Obtain all CBP research from 1993 through 2007 by browsing to our web store at IdealSpine.biz. This tax-deductible donation will supply you with a CBP research CD with a compilation of all PDF articles. You may use these articles to educate your local medical doctors and also validate your care. For more information, browse to our web store www.idealspine.biz.
0: Fantastic. Now, uh, you know, you know, any doctor, regardless of whether they're uh, you know new in practice, and this is you know for primarily for the the new practitioner, uh, but you know some of your middle range. Uh, chiropractors, uh, doctors may have been in practice seven to 15 years, something like that. Even your older practitioners, you know, they, you know, have, you know, less of a need, but you know, you know, your thoughts on how doctors can promote themselves in the healthcare marketplace, you know, in their community. Uh, but when I was first in practice, uh, went to a small town, Union, Missouri, 1978, Basically, rolled into town, put one ad in the paper, and before you know it, I had a flock of patients heading to my door. You know, that was a different time, a, a different age. Um, you know, it was a very small town, 5,500 people. I think if you went to Union, Missouri today, it would still be 5,500 people. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, it it seemed like, you know, back in the 70s and the early 80s, you know, it was easy to, or much easier to generate a stream of new patients just by simply putting a small ad in the paper. Well, you know, from, you know, just the feedback that I get from doctors currently, uh, you know, especially young practitioners, putting a small ad in the paper doesn't, you don't get the same result as you used two years ago. You know, what do you feel that doctors need to be doing these days in a, to generate a consistent flow of new patients into their office?
2: Well, you know, the irony of this is we're, we're doing a podcast. It's a relatively new term. You know, you go traveling, as I do, in, on airplanes, and, and it's kind of nice, uh, especially if you own Apple stock, to see the white headphones hanging from people's ears. And you realize that though we're in a crowded space whether it's an airport or you're walking down michigan avenue in, in in chicago or in union square in san francisco we're in some ways more disconnected than we've ever been You know, people are internal listening to their own music listening to their own podcast or whatever the case may be and people are generally genuinely inundated with just literally thousands of ads and and literally insults to their nervous system every single day. If you've got TV, radio, you've got, you know, the computer, and you've got Google and Yahoo and ads are flashing and newspapers still and magazines, yet the readership of newspapers is as low as it's ever been. You know, that medium is dying in part due to things like, you know, uh, the, the want ads that are, are essentially gone. You have Craigslist now, so they have no revenue from that. The uh, the New York Times, you know, the great gray lady, is finally starting to uh, erode. The stock price is going through the floor. Why? Because people aren't using it anymore as a source of information. Um, third, you know, it also takes phenomenal money to promote yourself in print and so forth. So I, I contend that the only reasonable way for even doctors with a modest amount of income or a modest cash flow to promote themselves is to go back to the basics. You know, pick up the book that old uh, Carnegie wrote, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence Others, right? Start to go back to relationship-based, value-based marketing. Does it happen instantaneously? No, it doesn't. But it also creates, when done properly, a more viable, stable and certainly less volatile practice and, and often a more sustainable, profitable practice. So what I see is the only real way that a doctor can promote himself, and I should say, you must promote you, not C V P, not chiropractic. There you go. Almost no one seeks out a chiropractor. They seek out a doctor to help them with a given problem. Sure. So you've got to market and brand yourself. I'm sure you understand. Um, so what I would say is what a doctor needs to do, especially the, the young doctors, first be, be do, the, do the hard work of deciding on what it is you're going to offer the public. Don't be afraid to say if your experience level is not that great with spinal structural rebuilding, fine. Be the best doggone pain relief doctor you can be. Cut people loose when, when they're done. Let them have the opportunity to come back. Build your skills. Learn and grow with it. But define what the product that you want to produce is. Then you've established what your brand is about, the tenets of your brand. Then you have to develop that brand passionately, and you have to constantly work at that, meaning every aspect of customer service, your protocols, your policies, etc., have to be congruent. You have to develop the all-important talent and skill of doctor-patient communication consistent with your message, consistent with what's in your heart, in your soul, and in your communicating with these people about what you do they understand this congr- or they experience this congruence you know of policy protocol etc exactly. and then marketing is a non-stop 24/7 process it's letting people know proudly what you do but not feeding them with a fire hose providing value first providing information willingly I think that the web email newsletters personal correspondence, shaking hands, following up with a phone call, following up with a nice personal note, you know, this is, none of this is revolutionary, you know, when was the last time you went to Nordstrom and didn't get a, as a new customer, and didn't get a follow-up thank you note from one of the sales people, you know, I didn't create this, but guess what, when you send something personal, or you communicate personally as a doctor with someone, you stand out much more than any ad ever could. So I contend that doctors need to get in front of people, they need to provide value first, they need to learn how to develop a brand and then stick to that brand and promote it you know, tirelessly until such time as they've developed enough of a core of people that they can rely on communication with those people to generate and spread the word.
1: Receive regular CBP research updates as well as seminar happenings and other chiropractic news by subscribing now to the CBP email newsletter right on the homepage at www.idealspine.com.
0: spoken to a number of people about, uh, you know, getting out in the public and, and doing luncheon and learns and things like that. You know, we had a, a uh, we have a podcast coming out soon uh, by this one young doctor who's a student of mine. He's a CBP doctor in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, you know, about doing exactly as you have uh, uh, recommended, you know, getting yourself out in front of people. But, and, and he's very, very good at it. And he can basically get new patients at will, however you know, so many of uh doctors that I speak to who are having problems with a consistent new patient flow to say, well, gee doc, I, I just don't have the cojones to do stuff like that. You know, to actually, you know, go out to a business and and you know, talk to maybe the uh, human resources director or something like that about, you know, my services and maybe doing a presentation of some type. I just don't have what it takes to to do that so you know in that vein what are some of the biggest business challenges that you see facing doctors today you know in your role as a consultant I'm sure that is exactly one of them is having them develop the courage to go out and do that now how would you address that as a consultant you know if you see, see someone who needs to be doing something that you know they're they're uncomfortable with it, even though it's ethical, moral, and needed. You know how would you handle that with someone? Well, it's a it's a great it's a great challenge, and it's uh, you know it's certainly one of those uh,
3: I guess double double edged swords. You know, without hurting anyone's feelings, hopefully, but you know,
2: gotta I don't believe in any other other way but just laying the, the law down and, and telling you what I think truthfully. I think that truthfully, doctors need to assess that ability. They need to decide before they enter into practice if they really do have those talents. You know, if a doctor, you know, is, is say, listening, is, is midway through school and, you know, your, your work experience is limited, your time in front of the public is limited, you know, get yourself certified as a waiter. <laughs>
3: if there's such a thing. Go start as a bus boy if you have to. Or or you know, busing tables. Get in front of the public. Work your
2: way up to, to waiting tables, providing service, intermixing inter- with the public in a way that builds that that core confidence that you need to have. That said, if you're already in practice, okay, perhaps the way to go is to to go to Toastmasters, build that that ability, you know, go to a and I group. Um, and if you're if you're just as shy as can be, find something that you know a lot about outside of chiropractic. Perhaps you're a fisherman. Perhaps you uh, you're a pilot or you're an athlete. Get involved in some peripheral activity that is you know can be complementary, so that you can socialize and meet people, so that you can at least one on one develop a rapport. You know, learn to develop a list, okay? And let me elaborate a little bit on that. You know, every doctor needs to develop an elevator speech. You know, again, this isn't a new concept. But that ability in 10, 15, 20 seconds to say what you're about. In order to get break the ice, though, it's pretty easy. You first have to just say something nice to the other person and ask and inquire about what they're about. At some point, they're going to ask you what you do. You know, follow up the next day, you know, with a thank you note, you know, a phone call perhaps, but a note is even more powerful. Not a solicitation. Just a, hey, it was great to visit with you, great to meet you. That contact then becomes part of your database. You correspond with that person periodically, frequently perhaps, and with email newsletters and the ability to generate printed materials in an efficient way until you build to that point where now you've got a core, you know, I can't see any other way for the doctor that's, that's basically shy, that's already in practice and struggling. you got to go back to the fundamentals. you just got to go back to learning how to interact with people, churches, you know, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. Um, hopefully if you're a girl, you go to the Girl Scouts, boys, you know, you, you get the idea. Um, boys and Girls Clubs. You know, social programs that are out in the public or even the private sector, private schools are often looking for people to help, you know, become part of, a, of an athletic program, you know. Volunteer, give value first before you expect to receive, okay. That's what I see as really the only reasonable way for these doctors to, to get out and promote themselves. Is it instantaneous? Absolutely not. And then, you, you know, you run into this challenge of how do I make enough money so they don't go out of business? Well, some of that is planning ahead, having enough capitalization, not exp- going beyond your budget, and then working like heck. You know, that's that's essentially what you have
3: to do. So, I think most doctors need to revisit their talents, their
2: abilities. Be honest with themselves. If they don't have some of these strengths, they need to develop them or find someone to help them develop them. Um, or and be realistic, perhaps becoming. An associate or an intern for a period of time, and, and working hard at that, and utilizing that that secure place to develop your communication skills. So, really comes down to knowing your your weight, knowing your talents, and then appropriately applying them, and being realistic in your expectations.
1: You currently receive our AJCC. If not, be sure to email us your name and your clinic information, and we'll be sure to make sure that you get the next issue. Email us at webmaster at idealspine.com.
0: Excellent. Uh, yeah, I, I tell you, you know, in retrospect, you know, having been on the faculty at uh, Cleveland College for ten years, and in private practice, and owning multiple clinics, and having, uh, you know, associates, uh, you know you know by the bucket loads and you know for 20 years previously uh you know i look at the the students at at cleveland and, and really some of our very best clinicians some of the you know some of the people who have the the keenest clinical skills in helping people you know and analyzing their condition and diagnosing their condition whatever you know are, are are really are introverted people you know the people that uh you know are are bookworms and uh you know uh you know, just love the, the science of it all, but have a very difficult time, you know, in meeting people and reaching out to people. And and that is what is absolutely so necessary and in, uh, you know, getting the practice off and of running. So that was some excellent information there, Scott. Now, you know, Doc, to follow up, if I could, interjecting, sure. you know, it's also critical for these. To, to understand you know the CVP audience of course, is tend,
2: tends to be a more analytical exactly. more scientifically based group of individuals it doesn't stop in the promoting it carries over into the day to day communication you know the patients might sit there nodding their head like uh, one of these spring uh, <laughs> spring-loaded dogs it's, it's in the back of the, uh, you know, of the
3: old uh, vehicles. <laughs> the 50-second Chevy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. The, the patient the patient may sit there and nod when you're explaining
2: the uh, intricacies of proprioception and degenerative uh, conditions on the disc and how the recurrent meningeal nerve and this and that and the
0: other, and they, they just nod. They have no idea what you're talking about. Sure. And the mistake is... You might as well be speaking uh, Chinese to... Uh, uh, someone who has no idea what that is. So.
2: Exactly, and I contend that most of us do this out of, of genuine interest, but also because we have this huge you know, gravestone-sized chip on our shoulder about defending chiropractic and proving it to the people, when in reality, that's not why they're there in the first place. No. You really want help for, yeah. for a given problem, and if you give them what they want, You may create the opportunity down the road to provide them what they actually need, but you're never going to do that by handing them the various stack of research that CBP has created without explaining it in very simple terms to them, how it relates directly to them, you know? So whether it's branding, whether it's promoting new patients, you know, whether it's day-to-day communication, it all fits together. That skill to water it down to the level of person, not ever talking down to them, always providing value, but also listening to what they have to say and responding appropriately is at the, at the root of the successful practitioner.
0: Now, you know, we've heard this word, uh, you know, branding uh, quite a bit, and, uh, you know, I see that's a, a part of your vernacular, uh, not so much a part of mine, <laughs> As yet, but uh, you know, tell us a little bit about branding and marketing, uh, you know, in our let's say our contemporary uh, chiropractic marketplace.
2: Uh, well, you know, if you think in terms of, you know, again, the, the consumer, the healthcare consumer, and where they can choose to spend their money, and and regardless whether they have insurance coverage or they're paying out of their pocket they're they are a consumer they are a customer they're going to be quite discriminating because they can be when they're choosing to go see a chiropractor i will tell you that that initial contact the first impression how they perceive your office every aspect of it is is e- in extremely important to the success of practice how the place looks, is it clean, what does it smell like, how were they greeted, was it genuine, what are the protocols, how are they welcomed into the, into the business. And, you know, all you have to do is drive around any size, reasonable-sized city. For instance, mine of 1,300 people, we have four-day spas in town for 1,300 people, you know, massage, getting your nails done, facials, and this sort of thing. And even here, it's not inexpensive, they, they are striving to carve out their niche in the service marketplace, almost on the fringe, of course, of healthcare. because some of them kind of get into that a little bit, right? Chiropractors need to understand that in order to succeed, you cannot leave any stone unturned. You know, with a limited budget, you can still create a phenomenal office, very clean and temporary, state-of-the-art. All the things that you bring to bear on this are are uh, need you know all the skills that you have to bring this uh, to fruition need to be employed you know the the image that you create now brand comes from a define defining what it is you want to offer you know when lexus one of the great brands that's come in in you know certainly in our uh, in our day and most people listening you know lexus didn't exist 25 years ago 20 years ago Toyota said, we want, to, we want to create a new brand. Toyota's a great company and has historically produced great products, but we want to take it another step. What we're going to define is we're going to create an automobile that is as close to perfect as possible. We're going to have exemplary customer service. We're going to worship our customer. We're going to never badger them. Our salespeople will never, never, any of the, the things that other car salesmen do because we are going to be above that we're going to take and define this particular creation and then we're going to produce it and then we're not going to stop we're going to continually refine it and refine it and refine it and as you know they've done very well with that chiropractors need to do something similar define what it is you want to offer define your brand and then decide you know what are the colors what are the you know what is the feel that i want to create what's really me how do i want to look i contend that you can never win by being something you're not don't put on a three piece suit if you're not comfortable granted clean shoes slacks nice. nice shirt you know groomed well of course but be be in the market and be aware of what's going on and what people expect and that's what you create as a brand. You know, the person you hire. You know, if you're talking about nutrition and and fitness and so forth and you choose to hire someone who's not of that mind, perhaps they're a smoker, perhaps they aren't as fit as they could be. Is that consistent with your brand? Okay? You've got to be totally immersed in what it is you want to create. And then Pursue it tirelessly. It it should come across in your website, in all of your paper goods, in any kind of promotional piece that you put together. And furthermore, the kind of promotion that you create. You know, if you're giving things away and yet considering yourself as this, you know, elite doctor, those two things are incongruent. So branding is really about defining what you're about, creating an image
0: that is consistent with what you really truly believe and then promoting that and and to the public. Now, you and I have discussed many times in the past and and I think what you just said really leads into this whole idea. All right, but you and I have discussed at times in the past that chiropractic and in my opinion once again is at the crossroads and uh, uh, you know, of, of change. You know, it's you know it's like uh, here we are at the fork in the road, and, um, you know, all depending on what particular uh, path we decide to take, well, you know, we're going to have to bear the consequences of that. Now, tell the audience really what you mean or, or feel, you know, about chiropractic being the crossroads yet again.
2: Uh, well, you know, I think... Uh, all this points to especially the CBP practitioner with a wealth of knowledge, with a wealth of of edified data, you know, of, of contemporary research that supports what we're about, okay, especially speaking to the CBP practitioner. We need to raise the bar and continue to raise the bar and invest behind that meaning we need to continually give back to CBP research. We need to continually stay abreast of it, okay, and constantly invest in that. Otherwise, we're, we're gonna be doomed to the ash heap of history and literally be uh, a minor player, because the reality is CBP is a, is a subset of all of chiropractic, and frankly, I hear people all the time talk, CBP, what is that? So we can't really drive that forward without having a higher standard and providing that at all costs to the public. Now, what I see, and when I say a crossroads, I see that as insurance, as those practitioners that got into chiropractic, perhaps for different reasons, perhaps because it was a good career choice or whatever the case may be, but they entered the marketplace with third-party pay. They never really had to provide exemplary customer service. They never really had to provide something defendable, okay? That's rapidly approaching, and in many states, it's already there. We see declining healthcare benefits, and so this ability to create a a business around a literally subsidized uh, financial situation is going away. So what we're going to have to do is provide extraordinary value for a reasonable price and know that in order to succeed with structural rebuilding of people's spines, we're going to have to do this over a period of time. They're going to need to come for periods of time. They've got to be taught. They've got to, you've got to develop a relationship, and you've got to be willing to engage these people in every
3: respect in order to provide them the opportunity that you and I know is, is
2: scientifically the best approach. I might add that this crossroads where, you know, I can illustrate a couple of recent uh, instances. California had a work comp system, and I've looked at a number of practices. Doctors have called me and said, hey, would you, you know, I need some help here. What's going on? You know, Doc, I've seen as many, uh, I've seen many of these practices, seeing they were seeing 40,
1: 50 visits a week making one heck of a living because there was this, third-party subsidization sure. of their, their finances, okay? Mm-hmm. When work comp, with a stroke of, of uh,
2: the, the governor's pen, eliminated that, mm-hmm. these guys were scrambling, and all of a sudden they realized that the average person isn't going to pay them $250 a visit to come and see them, to have them throw in a, a couple of hot packs and a, and a stem and give them a, a little stretch here and there and a massage, okay? They're just not going to do that because they don't understand where that value is, especially if someone else is providing something like or better for a more modest fee. You know? So I see the crossroads being the economic reality uh, that there will soon be no more subsidy. Okay? And, you know, I've heard, I've had arguments or discussions, per, is perhaps a better term, with people that say, oh, well, you know, we're going to have national health care. You know, we've got an election coming, and it looks like uh, it's, almost, uh, it's almost a shoe-in for either uh, uh, Senator Clinton or Senator Obama to be elected. And I say, okay, do you think that or, or health care insurance, circa 2010, let's say, is going to look more like Blue Cross in 1975, or is it going to look more like Medicare 2008? Okay. I contend that the, the pernicious attack on chiropractic
3: that's occurred with Medicare will continue and that that standard is going to continue
2: to be eroded. So really the only logical thing to do is provide a very fair service for a very fair price and build your business around that. Okay? Those doctors that see this coming can, can revisit, relearn these skills of, doctor-patient relationship building, communication, um, value-based marketing and branding, and we'll succeed. But many will choose to continue to put their head in the sand and go down that path of, well, it'll get better, it'll get better,
0: and it's not going to. Exactly. Well, you know, in that vein, uh, could you describe the practice model that you think makes the most sense uh, You know, over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years?
2: I think a, a logical way to approach this is to again revisit this this idea of assessing your own personal skills, your physical ability, your your communication ability, your general energy and vitality, and then say, okay, what a, what would I be able to create for what price? And then work backwards from there and say, what? How many visits per week or per month am I going to have to see? At somewhere, let's say, between 40 and 55 or $60 per visit, how many am I going to need to see to, to pay for my office and my overhead? And then how many am I going to need to see in order to pay for my living expenses? And do my personal skills and my ability to engage and all those things we've discussed already, do those things fit that model? Okay. What I will tell you I think is the future is a smaller model, smaller square footage, perhaps a digital x-ray for any number of reasons of efficiency. And I realize that's an expensive tool, but realize you're not paying square footage for the dark room, for the storage, etc. You've got no retakes, you've got no film costs, exactly. you've got no processing costs, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Smaller office, one perhaps two staff or I prefer to use the term team members. Um, some people might call, uh, I've heard the term staph infection, and, <laughs> and I want
0: to stay away from that. Uh, believe but, me, I, I've experienced plenty of staph infections in the past.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, and many of the... In fact, doctors, I lost
0: a toe once because of that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm with you. But, but in reality, this model of a smaller, uh, you know, fewer hours, in, you know, uh, not working 18, 20 hours a day, you know, you might be in the office for five hours a day, and, you know, many people have promoted this. Renaissance talked about it, Gibson Management, and, of course, many others have promoted this idea, know, um, I think it's a very, really valid one, okay? The reality is you, you can't be at your best all day anyway, so a smaller scale, um, full-service practice. Meaning, in order to be defendable, you cannot, you cannot use the CVP research and say, 60, 70, 80 visits are required, I'm going to hand people a foam block and send them home, when the research has been done with in-office exercise, in-office traction, ergonomic education, and certainly patient education in
0: other ways as well, along with instrument drop table adjusting and so forth. You
2: cannot pick and choose and say, well, I'm going to do it this way because the research doesn't support that. So you got to have enough of a facility and enough of an analysis and understanding of your capabilities to function within that structure to figure out if you're going to be able to be successful. And I will tell you that I see many offices that wouldn't fit that, quote-unquote, 300 visits a week model that's been purported to be, you know, the kind of... The gold standard for success. Many offices seeing half or less than half of that that are earning very, very good livings under the radar screen, very happily doing so, saving money and being very judicious about their investment, so that they can continue to uh, to thrive and have a you know, relatively low stress life. So I don't see the future being necessarily the mega clinics of the '80s, the um, you know the MDPT situation certainly can work, but I think that'll be perhaps going the way like many of the other fads have gone um, I, I really see the future as being quality based low overhead high quality facilities fully staffed or fully teamed I guess, and providing just phenomenal service and exceeding people's expectations you know the organization needs to come with from within, but I see that as the only reasonable way to uh, to succeed in practice
0: these days. You know, Scott, I am a baseball fan. I love the America's favorite pastime. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite managers, one of my favorite coaches of all time was Tommy Lasorda. And I think uh, Tommy Lasorda, uh, you know, he, I think maybe his best year batting was uh, maybe a, just a pinch over 200, a very brief stay in the major leagues. Yet he is one of the most revered managers of all time. One world took, you know, coached his players, took him the world series, you know, and and he's one of the icons, you know, of, of America's great sport. Now in light of that comment I just made, you know, I know that you contend that a mentor should have walked a mile in his client's shoes while in practice himself or herself. Now, how important do you think that is in light of today's practice environment? I mean, you know, does the same thing apply to chiropractic mentoring as it does to maybe a sport of some type like football, baseball, like really some of our greatest sports coaches really weren't that very good at playing. Now, do you think that's an absolute necessity as a chiropractic mentor uh, that, you know, the the chiropractor had a, uh, the, the mentor had a superb practice at one time. And, you know, the, the person that they accept as a client or, or that the client ac- accepts them as a coach. Do you think that, you know, they should have achieved a certain rung of success, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, in order to be able to effectively mentor someone younger?
2: Uh, a great question. And, and actually I think an apt metaphor here, um, you know, if we, if I could kind of address the Tommy Lasorda and, for that matter, you know, the Vince Lombardis, the, uh, you know, the, the, the Bill Walshes of the world and so forth, I, I couldn't agree more that that many of these people weren't necessarily outstanding stars, and in fact, the opposite is often true, isn't it? That many of the stars that have tried to transition into coaching others really didn't do so hot, you know? I contend that The the reason that Lasorda probably was able to inspire, motivate, coach, etc., was because he came up the ranks, and he probably worked ten times as hard because he didn't have the talent, the natural talent, you know, that many others have. You know, Michael Jordan, for example, you know,
3: the guy worked really hard to be an outstanding uh, athlete, but, you know, just the fact that he decides on a whim that, you know, I think I want to play
2: baseball, too, you know, or Bo Jackson... These guys worked in incredibly hard, but they also had natural talent, so they might be able to make that transition into yeah. coaching.
0: You know? Well, you take like Frank Robinson. You know, he, he yeah. he's the only one to ever win an MVP in both leagues, but was a dismal failure as a coach.
2: Yes, and I would tell you that I'm not saying that these guys with great talent didn't work hard. They certainly did, but I think the coaches that understand the rigor of the machine of a of professional excuse me, a professional athlete, uh, athletics, uh, they have an, they have an understanding of the, you know, of the, let's use the term, sausage making that goes on to spit out these teams, okay, in a way that they can relate to the guy that's trying to climb the ladder. And let's face it, doctor patient communications from a position of knowledge and having been there are going to come to the to surface uh, come to the uh, you know to the top of the heap I also say that a team of people is often necessary Now, I, I, I was blessed you know my father taught me real estate investing I've been involved in startup companies um, my brother's a real estate broker a very successful one in Napa California I've gotten a little bit of smattering of development. I've certainly built offices. I've owned multiple clinics. I've had other businesses. And I've certainly had my failures, but I've had lots of good success. I will tell you that that in and of itself also adds another layer of expertise. And so in looking for someone that you want to, uh, that you want to mentor you, see if they really emulate what it is that you're looking to develop in yourself. Um, do you want to have a balanced life? Do you want to have a family? <laughs> you know, six kids, running a practice, running a business, you know? You know what that's like, having children. You know what it's like to be out there developing and promoting and doing so at a very high level and a very ethical level. Uh, different model than what a lot of people have, have purported. So, uh, yeah, I do think that a, that a mentor or a coach should have been there to some extent or at least understand at a very fundamental level what the doctor, alone in his office, goes in, sees a set of films, has a patient chew them out, has somebody that has a challenge. They go and shut that door, and they sit there all by themselves. When they pick up the phone, they need to have somebody on the other end
0: Dr. Hewen, thank you ever so much. I tell you, this was just some fantastic meat and potatoes down to earth, uh, uh, you know, fatherly advice uh, and brotherly advice. Uh, You know, we've spoken to, uh, uh, you know, to many, many different issues, uh, you know, within uh, practice and practice life. And uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, what you have uh, given today is uh, is Is invaluable. Thank you once again. God bless you. This has been Dr. Joe Bowles, CBP Fellows President, Prairieville, Louisiana. Have a great day.
1: Thank you for listening to the CBP Podcast Series. My name is Dr. Joe Ferrantelli. And before I close, I just wanted to update uh, all of you that I've placed some uh, video clips on the new x-ray digitizing software known as Postray on the PostureCo website. You can also find those on YouTube as well. Uh, many of you have uh, these these questions about how to use the software and whether or not you have to use digital Uh, systems or how to obtain the x-rays so i made a couple sample clips that will definitely answer your questions so be sure to browse to www.postureco.com thanks and see you next time